0: All right, you white motherfuckers. All eyes on me. This is the I Refuse Podcast. Welcome back to the I Refuse Podcast. It is I, Mr. Fox, aka Take It or Leave It, aka John Hamm's athletic supporter. Before we get into the episode, I want to get into one thing that has been sticking in my side like a thorn so I've returned back to the gym since having surgery took about a six month or so hiatus to kind of touch and go with things I've been back about almost a month now this is my fourth week I go roughly three to four times a week during the week Is without fail that whenever I am on the bike, and I know this can't, I can't be the only person this happens to, I usually pick the last bike or the last, you know, the machine at the end of the row. And there are, there's at least one row of bikes behind me. And two or three other bikes to my left. Every time I get on the bike, the next person that gets on the bike doesn't pick any of the other bikes, the empty bikes. They instead choose the bike right next to me. And I look to my left, and I look. In front of the person at the bikes next to us. I look behind the person at the bikes behind us. Nobody else is on them. But you decide in a whole Panasonic, a whole pandemic more. And during the Donkey Kong Pox to bring your white ass down to the bike right next to mine that I'm to to ride I can't do it so if you're if this is your first time coming to the I refuse podcast you know we're about season season 4 now and we decided to do things a little bit differently compared to previous seasons i like to kick off each episode with a couple of housekeeping items. Rest in peace to Bobby Caldwell. Passed away at the age of 71 in his sleep while at his New Jersey home. Bobby Caldwell, that should be a name that's familiar to most of us that were outside the past 30 or so years. Because although he had a relatively short number of albums out that were commercially successful. Bobby Caldwell is one of those people that has like a really big hit that's also timeless. What You Want to Do for Love. So outside of Bobby Caldwell coming out at a time where there were other what we categorize as blue-eyed, blue-eyed soul singers. You know, Gino Vannelli was one. Kenny Loggins is up there somewhere. Uh, the late 70s, early 80s. Bobby Caldwell was able to blend R&B and jazz and funk and soul and pop, unlike somebody else. And his voice was just amazing. But on top of that, His voice didn't coincide with the way he looked. And for the longest time before, you know, Tina Marie, they did not have his face on album covers for most of his career. And he benefited greatly from that. What You Won't Do For Love is a classic song that's been covered numerous times over the last 40 years. Um, he has other songs that have, that are just as good, but has also been sampled. So, you know, he has a song called Open Your Eyes, which has been sampled by Common for his song, The Light. He also has uh, My Flame, which has been uh, sampled by the Notorious B.I.G. for his song, Sky's the Limit. So... It's not to say the man doesn't have, like, talent or a catalog. And it's uh, unfortunate because, his passing is unfortunate because you could more than likely draw a line from, you know, the John B., Robin Thicke, Christina Aguilera, uh, Remy Shand, directly back to Bobby Caldwell. I mean, it's no coincidence that he was on the Soul Train Awards with John B. And even then, some people didn't make the connection until he started singing the first couple of lines of What You Want to Do for Love. Huge loss. Definitely underrated. He will be missed. Moving right along... um One Kiara Sheard Kelly stopped by the Welcome to the Jungle podcast for an episode last week. For those of us that love gospel music, Kiara Sheard Kelly is the daughter of Dr. Karen Clark Sheard, who is a member of the most influential and highly successful female gospel group, the Clark Sisters. What's interesting about Kara Sheard's visit, is that during the episode, she was able to, as a gospel artist, recite, perform, bar for bar, Lil' Kim's feature verse on Mary J. Blige's classic song, I Can Love You. And that's significant because we don't, as a society, as a culture, discuss or revere highly enough Lil' Kim's impact. And too often times in the culture, now more than ever, is this competitive, toxic Energy that just doesn't make music fun. It's like there's always had to be there always has to be some kind of beef or some kind of drama that people add to things that are not there, and oftentimes it leads to a lot of disrespect to the generation of artists that came before, and a lot of a lot of the stand culture if I'm being perfectly honest, consists of people that want to rewrite history and act like what they're listening to now these days is all that there is and it's not influenced by anything else that occurred before they were born or before they knew of where rap music is. So it's Right, so that's why every year I myself, um, Matthew No knows over on his podcast make it a point to highlight every moment that a younger artist or an artist from a different genre of music gives props to Lil' Kim. Like you had you just had to be there. During that time when you have a hip-hop artist who is listened to and heard and copied and mimicked by artists from other genres. You know, Jasmine Sullivan is another one. And it's very important to note because Lil' Kim is one of those artists that managed to stretch and extend and broaden the face of what hip-hop is. But a lot of people are not ready for that discussion. So that's why it was very, very entertaining to watch a gospel artist go on a podcast and recite and perform word for word. A little chem verse, so late last week, I was minding my business, right? I had to ask y'all before I get into this. Has the whole world got become horny? Late last week, the boyfriend sent me. A tweet what, of what looks to be a 9-11 memorial, because you see the Twin Towers. But in the middle, what looks to be a soft, meaty phallus. Now here we are in late March, barely two months removed from the Martin Luther King statue that was <laughs> that was erected in Boston over MLK weekend the hug sculpture we talked about this and how at a particular angle the the center of the monument or the sculpture looked like a butt pluck and there were a lot of memes that came from that because at that same time was the story that came out about Quaker Throats. Uh, the white officer down in Tennessee, Mary White Officer, who was exposed to be giving sloppy toppy, took at least five or six other men in that same police department. So what they did is they took the, the part of the sculpture that looked like a butt plug, or an eggplant, or you know, a penis, and copied and pasted it to the female police officer's photo, and I was like, "Y'all don't deserve the internet." But anyway, so the this 9/11 memorial, the way it looks from the back is exactly how I described it, and this. 9-11 Memorial is down in, hold that thought, down in Burn, North Carolina. And it's not full scale. God, if it was full scale, like the the original size, there would be no sunset in North Carolina or sunrise. But anyway, from the back, like I said, it looks like a phallus. Like it Literally at the top of this thing looks like the head. So it. The. <laughs> the. Oh my god. The uh, crazy part. In addition to that is just. I guess this is supposed to be the front of the monument. Because at the bottom. Along the um, along the base, it reads "9/11 Memorial." So you're thinking, "Oh, this is probably the front." So when you go on the other side, though, the phallus is, I guess, actually supposed to be a firefighter helmet on top of a firefighter axe that's situated between a pair of firefighter boots, and I guess. The back part is supposed to be the firefighter coat, but the front of it doesn't really help its case, right? So imagine you're walking down the street at Burn North in Burn, North Carolina, and you see this, and you're like, nine eleven Eleven Memorial," as it reads on the front. Assuming this is the front. That's the twin towers and in the middle. Is that a cock? Like come here y'all, is, is, is that a cock right there? That, that that looks like that has to look like a soft cock. A penis, a pecker, a peter, a prick, a dick, a dangelang that is a -a dangalang in 2023 we are seeing more dangalangs than ever before so anytime i get a tweet as per the usual what i do is i open the tweet and i go through the comment section now in the past 10 minutes i have talked about two other statues right That were clearly very horny in nature. In the comments section. Somebody provided another 9-11 memorial. (sighs) But here's the thing. Keeping true to the horny tradition. There is in Bayonne, New Jersey, Bayonne, New Jersey, at the old military ocean terminal. It's been there since 2005, 2006, September 16th. What looks to be either slate, concrete, copper metal something that something along those lines a wall uh, roughly 13 to 16 stories high right and it's it's rectangular in shape it looks to be really heavy as fuck in the front if you're looking at it from the entryway or from the land because it's out near the ocean at this ocean terminal, right? Down the center looks to be a severed opening that gets wider as you go down to the bottom. And from the top of this slit is a metal a metal teardrop-shaped thing that essentially runs from the top to the bottom. I sent it to my friend, Kirk G., who's been on the podcast before, and I said, has the whole world gotten horny? He says to me, "Well, look, it's a fine day to go to the Clip Memorial," and I said, "That's exactly what the fuck this looks like," because while I am a proud faggot, not a faggot, a faggot. Think bagat, but instead of a B, it's an F. I know, I know a clit when I see one, and I could only imagine that guys in Jersey that drive down the Turnpike or 95 or wherever, whatever is closest to Bayonne, New Jersey, say, damn. I have a sudden urge to finger pop some pussy right now. I have a sudden urge to give the car wash tongue action to some meat curtains. I just have this urge right now. And it is because they drive past, look to the left or look to the right, depending on what side of the beltway that they're on. And they're like, oh, shit. That looks like a fucking clip. So I ask all again, has the whole world gotten horny? Now before we get into the main dish, got a couple of loose items I wanna clear up. The Java Ranch suspension is some bullshit. That many games without pay for flashing his gun. We talked about this on the Usual Suspects podcast on the latest episode, which is out now, in great detail. I, you know, with Kyrie Irving facing his backlash and John Morant kind of on the same path, I've said numerous times on this podcast and on the two others that I have is that when it comes to like Kyrie Irving, Law Roach, and John Morant, it's like no matter how much success, how good you are at your job, no matter how great your stats are and how talented you are and how much you do for the business and for the success of the corporation these people the powers that be more often they are white than not have no qualms about reminding you that you are the help and that. You are something to be made an example out of. And it has nothing to do with community. It has nothing to do with keeping the reverence and the the glory and the appreciation or equality. It's It's really all about power. Food for thought. You no know, coming off of the heels of the Wells Fargo glitch and how these banks are having these issues and how it's looking like the government is going to bail them out yet again. It's interesting how we keep revisiting this point in history. It's a cycle at this point. Where the banks are being rescued by the government, yet again, while the Supreme Court is telling us that canceling student debt per borrower is government overreach. Yay, capitalism, right? So, Logic did Logic the Rapper did a cover of Ice Cubes, It Was a Good Day, a classic song and got some pushback by fans Sun loved it, Ice Cube, Sun loved it Ice Cube loved it and you know, Logic responded in a TikTok about it and even went a step further a lot of people's panties were in a bunch bu- over it so this is what Logic had to say in response anyway um it's funny that you should say that because i thought about doing that wouldn't that be cool everybody's all pissed off at me because i did fucking ice cube cover meanwhile i fucking texted ice cube and he's like man keep doing you brother like what the who gives a fuck who gives a fuck but you know what would be great is if you're right i should do a whole fucking album and just do a whole album of fucking hard-ass 90s records and call it logic greatest hits and get all them paid and get them publishing and take care of all the legends and the goats and the greats from the 90's I'm hollering because people you know that look like me love to gatekeep our music you know music that we love and we revere very highly but then with that feel like a rapper that when the outside doesn't look like us. Is not allowed to cover it or do anything with it. We go up for sampling, but as soon as our shit's sampled or covered, it's an issue. I like the idea of Logic possibly doing an album of hip hop covers. As you can clearly see, at the end of the day when you have a rapper that can place songs on the billboard, a solo artist can place songs on billboard and he is leveraging the color of his skin and his appeal to benefit us it's the record business A lot of those air pl- those plays and those listens means dollar signs for the people that wrote the songs that he covered. And Logic, the rapper, is half black. Moving on. America, America has a problem. So y'all remember back in 2019 when Bussy Smollett I'm going to call him that from now on decided to be random and entertain us somehow Mm -hmm. while Empire was still on the air and he was part of the cast to orchestrate a an anti LGBTQIA attack. Fabricated came up with this whole elaborate thing claiming that he was attacked in Chicago by two white guys with MAGA hats on. <coughs> Completely came out of left field, right? And this whole thing played out right in front of us. I knew he was lying. I knew he was full of shit. So, you know, you had the revelation that there were two Nigerian guys, brothers, that he wrote a check to, and he tried to wiggle out of it by saying the check was for personal training. Now, I don't know. Maybe... I'm, maybe this is, this is coming from somebody that is of a lower tax bracket have not been on any television shows I'm not famous I have a regular 9 to 5 job but I've never heard of paying a personal trainer that much money for personal training it's usually like a payment plan of some kind through a gym and Bossy Smollett just does not give me that kind of vibe. Like, he wants to be that guy with the the bodybuilding and shit. So, I was like, yeah, this is not looking too good. So, ultimately, (coughs) he was convicted and sentenced to a paltry sentence, um, hundreds of hours to do for community service and restitution. So here we are, March of 2023. The Nigerian brothers, who have been relatively quiet the past couple of years, were given a documentary, participated in this documentary, a Fox Nation documentary called "Jesse Smollett, Anatomy of a Hoax. So during this documentary, you know, they do the interview, the two brothers take take the, the new station back to where it started, back to the site, and reenact how it happened and what happened, right? And intertwined throughout this documentary or docuseries, they they recall their reactions while watching Jesse on TV telling this story they were like he's a liar he's a fraud can't believe they're buying this shit but with that they also explained that the, the night or the day after they took part they flew back to Nigeria with the feeling that the cops were on to them So, when they came back to the United States, there was Customs and all these other officers there waiting for them. And it essentially just went like, they were checking everybody's passports coming off the plane. When they checked ours, they said, come with us. And that's when things really took shape. So, The thing about it is, like, yes, we know it was a hoax. Jesse Smollett probably should have did more time. And everything that's happened to him, he should take that. He needs to be held accountable for all of that. When it comes to the Nigerian brothers, right, I'm like, y'all don't even... Y'all, y'all, something just sounds off about the two of them. And to this day, we still don't know why it happened. Like, there's some people theorizing, oh, uh, and I was in the comments section of the article, that people out here are, it's gotten to a point to where people don't, want to believe that racism is a thing and that attacks against black men and gay black men and gay men and gay people is not a thing and not an issue that they it's gotten to a point that people are staging these kind of things and I felt that's kind of interesting um, but that's not the way to go about the activism part like uh, there is still a great amount of us out here that know that it, it's a real thing, and where was Bussy trying to go with this? I tell you, I think it's just another episode of board celebrities, and you know, just like you can look at Jesse and tell that he's not about that life. Just like you can look at John Morant and tell that he's not about that life. You, the thing about it is, like, when you get to a point where you're on everybody's television screens, you are in a position where you are making money hand over fist, and you're in the pocket right now, career wise, you got to tighten up. You have to be the squarest squarest black person. Like, not poindexter, but it's just like... You gotta start doing positive things. Because once again, it's like... They don't care about how well you act or how well you play the game. All it takes is... Collecting things incidences and then just pouncing on you when you're in a position to where you can't defend it and you can't justify it and now you look now that you look like a liability and your image is tarnished and it's not a good look you're handled differently you're handled immediately Which it doesn't go the same way for like white athletes and white actors. Ain't her shit come out from that Brett Favre welfare scandal? He's not losing his pension. He's not losing any money off of his his earnings and his potential. But managed to siphon, allegedly, a lot of money from the welfare system in Mississippi, or I think Tennessee. We talked about that on the usual suspects and we talked that about that on the I Refuse podcast. So it doesn't it doesn't bode or drive the same when it's us that's in the hot seat. Which leads me to my next point. La Roach. La Roche, fashion stylist, uh, creator, artist, personality has who has been styling professionally and on this level since 2009. The likes of Zendaya for about seven or eight years, Ariana Grande, Celine Dion. Last episode I talked about a video that I saw on my timeline, my Twitter timeline of Zendaya and Law at Paris Fashion Week at a runway show walking towards an empty chair that's between Emma Stone and the daughter of Bernard Arnault, a French business magnate and owner of the Louis Vuitton merchandising conglomerate house. Zendaya gets to the seat first, sits there, and Law rolls up with the perception and the assumption that the chair, he should be sitting in that chair. First chair, first row is what I call it. It's not uncommon. This is like a big thing. This is a big deal at fashion shows, right? So Zendaya sees him and points him to an empty seat in a, a further a row that's further back. So word is, he Law Roach left. Before the fashion show started. He goes to social media. To announce his retirement. From the fashion industry. You know. In this long thing. And people. A couple of the queer podcasters. Aside from myself. Were like he's just. Pulling another stunt. You know. Aside from the fact that Law is a sunk queen and is a drama king and does stuff for attention and plays into the drama f- to his advantage, Law Roach is also immensely talented and is very serious about his craft. <coughs> now, in the video, Law Roach never bucked or made it an issue about the chair and to some of us out here while all those things aside about Law Roach there is this kind of thing is about principle and a lot of people were coming as Zendaya because they felt like she should have given him the chair also should not have embarrassed him in front of all those people even with all that the reality is that even with all the success and all this great work you've put out to benefit these people in, you know, movies and music and fashion, they still still will treat you like you're the help. And from my perspective, I can feel that Law saw that as the straw that broke the camel's back. There was no support at first. People saw him as someone that had great influence and impact on a lot of people's careers. And from my perspective, it was like, you, as a stylist, you elevate a person's, a celebrity's, face and name through style and Met Gala for seven years styling Zendaya I mean not for nothing prior to Euphoria were we really looking as Zendaya like that outside of the Met Gala him and Zendaya side by side every year at the Met Gala for the last seven years And in the past, when I've looked at these fashion shows, you know the the first row of people right near the catwalk, Anna Wintour is a permanent fixture. Of course, she is the the creative director of Vogue. Supposed to be there when Kim and Kanye were married. Of course. Kanye is a designer, Kim was his muse, by association, of course, Beyonce, first row, self-explanatory, no need to even divulge or go into any further detail. Stylists and fashion designers and Anna Wintour are mainstays in the first row. Yes, Zendaya Zendaya and Law being there coincided with the announcement that Zendaya would be the face or the ambassador of the French House. Okay, so it's not like he wasn't deserving of it. You know, the catalog and the credentials speak for itself. I mean not too many stylists can say they styled Celine Dion. And now it's at a point where maybe it takes leaving while you're on top for them to get it. And who can say that their retirement announcement woke up Naomi Campbell? Like it wouldn't you know, it's like, fuck, fuck all the drama. Stay committed to your art. Stay committed to the creation process. And they'll come running back. But I'm telling you, if you wake Naomi Campbell up to where she not only wakes up, but she responds and engages in the conversation, people are going to take notice. Because here's the thing the the perception and the presentation or what people want to imply from watching something that goes down is what they run is what they run with when they talk to other people like i said on the usual suspects episode out now it wouldn't it wouldn't be a shock if bernard arnold's daughter Daughter went back to her father with information about what happened. Probably added some gasoline to it, sensationalized it. Bernard, and I'm theorizing, are not being as powerful as he is. Made some calls and shake out political. Not terribly uncommon and it's like even even if you don't like La Roach even if he's not your cup of tea he still is talented and you still he's still a topic of discussion even now and he is being played with like a lot of us get played with. It's not even about the chair, it's about the principal. And if they don't respect you and they're not loyal, and they don't play with you equally, oh, it's it's time. It's time to bounce. So, I feel like if Kim K can be first row, Law Roach can definitely be first row. Christian Siriano, who came up on Project Runway, has sat first row numerous times. He's also a designer and a stylist, just like La Roach. But yet again, this is a wake-up call for La Roach that they don't value you the same as they value like Christian Siriano, who came up on a reality show. Life lesson, when people don't add value to you, subtract yourself. America, America has a problem. People had so much to say about the lack of reaction or support that Angela Bassett portrayed at the Academy Awards when she lost the best supporting actress to Jamie Lee Curtis we love Jamie Lee Curtis one of my one of our favorite non-problematic white people but come on like let's let's keep it a buck this was not hers it it could have been somebody else but definitely at this point it's like y'all are playing Angela Bassett's face But again, you know, the white feminism is that they will definitely always pinpoint or make an issue where there is no issue of what they perceive is nastiness or lack of decorum in support of white people. It's just like, even though Jamie Lee Curtis has a long list of credits acting credits. You know, we stands Halloween, we stands True Lies, we stands a fish called Wanda, Trading Places, all the other stuff. It this just wasn't it and that was the general consensus. This was not hers. Like we just it just didn't impact us the role or the performance that impact us the same way that Angela Bassett's role in the Wakanda movie impacted us and that's not to say that one is less than the other but it's like what's going on so I looked at this the situation critically right To where it was like they both all the nominees were great but this is a Jamie Lee Curtis, Angela Bassett conversation. Great, great works in their catalog. Jamie Lee Curtis pretty good for what she's known for has a style like of her own has has the range does horror, does comedy does suspense, does thrillers and she's worked that out pretty good formidably, right? then you have Angela Bassett who has the range the range is limitless you know, she was this close to winning for what's I've got to do with it but lost to Holly Hunter, which I believe I've talked about, and it's like for people that are not—and let's keep it about. There probably weren't a lot of white people that went to go see either Wakanda movie, and there probably aren't, to a greater effect, a lot of white people that are familiar with Angela Bassett enough. You no, know, she primarily does like urban or African-American-held, helmed or led movies. And in each role, she's the standout. In each movie, she's a clear standout. So I think what it is, is like, you have worked, and this you can apply this to anybody, you have worked yourself very well to a particular standard in performance, in movies, in plays, like you have a style, a phrasing, a presence that is distinctive. And I think in the face of white America, particularly, you know, the actor, the actors, the academy committee, whoever they, they're they used to it they're used to it and it kind of works against us like oh well you know we know that she's going to knock it out of the park and I don't think I think a lot of people in their perception and their opinions remove nuance when it comes to us Even with that said, that was not Jamie Lee Curtis's to win. And then, you know, the the flair and the flack that you had for Angela Bassett was conveniently absent when it was Diane Warren's turn when she lost in the the same night, same, same event, when she lost her nomination to RRR, and she was visibly feeling some kind of way, no one said a peep. Same Diane Warren that has lost Best Original Song over five decades. Had something to say about Beyonce having multiple songwriters one particular year. And I thought, you know if you've lost Best Original Song at the Academy Awards and, and/or the Golden Globes, maybe it's time for more songwriters. Perhaps you could use additional songwriters. But funny how the outrage is selective. They have it for us, but... You know, for Angela Bassett, for Timbs. Who had the outfit on in the audience that same night. But were conveniently quiet and hush-hush. Or gave... Unanimous praise when Lady Gaga goes to those same events in previous years. Wearing those... Attention-grabbing, attention-seeking outfits and headwear... Nobody says a thing. Well, there's all this pushback reserved for us. America, America has a problem. Auntie Stone stopped by Vlad Studios for an interview recently. I'm surprised nobody's discussing this. She, although she goes into detail about her long career... Starting from, you know, the late 70s as a member of The Sequence. First female hip-hop group. That was on Sugar Hill Records. Even though she talks about her upbringing, her parents, her being on the road, um, her time with Vertical Hold. The fact that she still keeps in touch with the sequence. They talk about R&B Divas. They talk about living in Atlanta. They talk about her relationship with her kids and all that other stuff. You know, a lot of people out here have been fixated and obsessed with her relationship with D'Angelo. And dissecting, to the point of dissecting what she's saying and putting their own kind of personal opinion in there. And it's just like, all of this pushback or all these opinions revolve around the the shock that they actually were together. D'Angelo and Angie Stone were an item. And she talks about that a great deal about we started working together because we had the same manager and this was before his deal before the first album and all that other stuff and then things progressed to romantic and she goes into the background situation helping D'Angelo with songs and arrangements being on background vocals and people not the p- politics of people n- getting into D'Angelo's head about her and their relationship, which caused friction and caused them to separate. Now they have a son that was born in '98. At some point during the interview, he came on the show. And he talked and, you know, Andy Stone had said, you know, it's been difficult co-parenting with him. You know, it's a a pride thing with D'Angelo. And, you know, he struggled a great deal during that voodoo era of... Being an artist, trying to reconcile with the, the sex symbol image. Like there were people, and this has been said by other people. There were times when they would come out to do the show. And women would instantly shout out, get naked. Take your clothes off. Show us those abs. And he's like, I'm here to do music. It's like you. It's just the way it is, but. As far as the two of them were concerned, that's the direction things went. And then they go into talking about her solo career. Her time on Arista Records, her time on J Records, how. As soon as Alicia Keys came to the label, Clive started to act real funny towards Angie Stone. There was a time when Alicia Keys had completed her debut album. Around the time... No. So, around the time that she did her second album was around the same time that Angie Stone was doing her third album, I think. And she wanted the title the album Songs in the Keys or something. Or the diary of Angie Stone. And she says that she was encouraged to change the name of her album. In addition, they started to cut her recording budget. And she started to notice that They were treating Alicia Keys special. They started getting on Angie about her weight. And. The name encouraging her to change the name of her. One of her albums was the straw that brought the camels back. And precipitated her decision to leave J Records. And I believe all of it. Um, but even with all the stuff that she divulged in the interview, people are stuck on this D'Angelo thing. Oh, you know, the fact that she's older than D'Angelo, not by that much. Maybe like 10, 15 years. And, you know, people are are in this uh, Predator, Me Too pocket, and, you know, they go overboard with it to the point that They think everybody is a predator because there's an age difference. D'Angelo was in his early 20s when they met. She was in her early 30s when they met. And people act like that's a big deal. But... don't really say a whole lot when it's the roles are reversed. It's an older guy, a younger woman. That's always been a thing. But I... But people... The reality is, is like people are really trying to make that an issue to get around the fact that they don't think Angie Stone is attractive or is, some, is not somebody that... D'Angelo should go for or would go for. Just like how y'all were setting yourselves on fire when that that woman came forward with Gloria Allred a couple years ago, claiming that Usher gave her an STI. And y'all were like, Usher? Yeah, that can't be true. But it's like some of these male celebrities... Will fuck anything with a heartbeat. If it's steady and standing still or laying still, they'll fuck, they'll fuck it. Like, don't be fooled. And it's so ignorant. It's it's so ignorant. Um, but people like to hark on some shit that's not an issue. Yeah, she's older than D'Angelo. But she's also pretty woman you know people watching the interview are like what's up with her teeth like picking her apart and it's just like she is in her 60s she ages just like you and me but again it's like people are bold and brash behind the keyboard and really show their, their slip and it's like We have women out here that to some are below the standard, but clearly there is something about them that is attractive. It may not be attractive to you physically, but Andy Stone is talented. Andy Stone has had a career for almost five decades and y'all are picking apart this woman's looks the, the age difference her and D'Angelo have not been together since what? the Voodoo album yeah here we are in 2023 y'all are still in disbelief that D'Angelo would go for her I truly hate it here Now at some point during the interview, the interviewer interviews the son that Angie Stone had with D'Angelo, and just when you thought people were done picking apart Angie Stone on the strength of the way D'Angelo looked. And who D'Angelo is. And because he's of value. Means that she is of lesser value. In looks, contribution, talent. Like there's no possible way that this could have went down. When people got to that part of the interview. Where... It was just the interviewer and their son. People found it hard to believe that D'Angelo created this. Because their son, who goes by the name of Suevo professionally, immensely talented, not only according to his mom... But to producers and other industry folks. People, there are a select few of us very interested in this music that he has. Unfortunately, there's a greater number of people picking apart his looks. Now, he does look like D'Angelo in the face. He has D'Angelo's lips, he has D'Angelo's eyes, like he has D'Angelo's facial features. But because Suevo is not presenting something similarly to D'Angelo from the neck down, they find it hard to believe. And it's like, this is where we are. Like, we want people to believe that we're so evolved and we're so progressed and we're so limitless in range and how we view people. Yet and still you have people at their hard age of late 30s, early 40s picking apart a person's looks when they're discussing their life, discussing their music, discussing all this greatness that they possess. And the other part of that is that people couldn't get couldn't receive the conversation that was being had in front of them about Suevo being a Nepo a Nepo baby and the words of wisdom that was being bestowed upon him by his mother Angie Stone and stepping into about stepping into your confidence and stepping into your pedigree You are, you can't help that your parents are who they are. You can't help what's not in your jurisdiction, what has occurred prior to you coming into the world. It's ultimately up to you, Suevo, to step into your own definition and step into your own path. And a lot of people didn't hear that because... Suevo is a bigger black man. And so, not in most people's eyes, similar in type and body and look as his dad. And it all just kind of goes back to another point is that people really didn't pay that much attention to D'Angelo's last album because he refused to take his clothes off and he wasn't in their eyes up to the glory physically of his voodoo brown sugar days and it's like y'all do realize you're talking at least 20-25 years And a lot of people, other singers and other industry folks, have been saying for a long time how D'Angelo doesn't want to work, doesn't like to work. But also, it's like he wants to be respected as a musician and as an artist. Like, he could do this all day without the overt sexual and horniness of women that come to his shows. Could you imagine D'Angelo releasing an album during the pandemic and going to go tour? Y'all rabbit asses would continue on a thousand, be even worse at the shows. Like y'all would throw yourselves on top of them at the on the stage, and it just all goes to show that. Yeah, I don't really appreciate D'Angelo or most of these musicians for their music and their art. It's just you want them to get naked as soon as possible. Or you're salty about not getting your money's worth. I truly hate it here. So the next segment of the show here at the Irish Podcast is come outside we won't jump you and we want to ask one specific area I believe in Texas uh, Fort Hood and when I say Fort Hood I want everybody and authority at this base to just Meet us out here on the street, outside the gate. Because we, have, we would like to know what the hell is going on down there. That in the span of less than, what, five years, you've had a second death of a female soldier. ...who dies mysteriously after numerous complaints of being sexually harassed. So, last Friday it was reported that... ...a army private, Anna Basil Duar-Ruiz... ...who was stationed at Fort Hood... ...she was a combat engineer with the 1st Cavalry Division... ...died last Monday, right... So apparently, her mother was told by army officials that her daughter died by suicide. So here's the thing she had been complaining about sexual harassment, being on the receiving end of sexual harassment at the base. Now if y'all recall it was it wasn't that long ago that another army private at that same base Fort Hood Vanessa Gillian um who was murdered April 22nd, 2020. They said the murder of Vanessa Gillian took place inside the armory at Fort Hood, Texas, bludgeoned to death by another soldier, Aaron David Robinson. She had been missing for over two months when some of her dismembered remains were found buried along the Leon River on June 30th. Upon hearing about the discovery, Aaron fled Fort Hood and fatally shot himself when law enforcement attempted to apprehend him in nearby Galen, Texas. Cecily Aguilar, identified as Aaron's girlfriend, was taken into custody and his Alleged to have assisted him in dismembering and burying Gillian's body. On July 2nd, Aguilar was charged with one federal count of conspiracy to tamper with evidence. On July tw- 13th, 2021, she was indicted on 11 counts by a federal jury. On November of that year, Aguilar pled guilty to accessory to murder after the fact and three counts of making a false statement. So how is what how is it that almost 3 years to the day after Vanessa Gillian was murdered at Fort Hood, Texas that Anna Baza Dua Ruiz mysteriously dies after reporting being sexually harassed numerous times. And of course, you know, the army and the military gives their routine statement like we're going to do our best. We won't put up with this and we're going to lodge an independent FBI investigation and we're going to address the deficit climate courtesy of our independent review committee and an effective implementation of sexual harassment, assault response and prevention. How about we, how about y'all do this? Y'all interview all the males on the base, especially the male privates, army privates. I want y'all to take that literal, what I just said. And especially the ones that either worked with Private Ruiz, socialized with her, that she, those that she had to report to, those on the receiving end of the reports and the complaints, and any of the males in her dorm. Assuming she stayed in the dorms. Because it's like a generalized statement, uh, a statement just to... Take the news outlets. The heat from them off of you. When. Branches of. The armed forces have a known history. Of cover-ups. And pacification. When it comes to. Human life. Especially human lives. That. Enlisted to be part of this illustrious thing called the armed forces. And then, you know, that'll be the investigation. Because what ends up happening is the heat starts to close in on certain people. They start acting different. They start moving different. They make their presence less and less known. They're not as social. Then they start to stick out. In Vanessa Gillian's case, the dude skipped town and tried to... I guess he killed himself. In this case, it was, I believe... That it's 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 gonna just end up being kind of the same thing. It's like once you start sniffing around her workplace and work your way out socially you'll start they'll start to notice that somebody was bothered by. Her complaints. And there you have it. Because in Vanessa's case. The guy that killed her was enraged. Once he found out she planned to file a sexual harassment report. And killed her. Which I'm like. Make yourself more obvious. Like. Like dudes don't don't think like yeah you know sexual harassment you'll get public shame and shame across the base but people will be mad or feel some kind of way for a little bit and then move on you know some people may hold a grudge or whatever but it's like they can't touch you and do your time, your community service. They'll probably make you do some psychotherapy, figure out what's going on, and you'll get some support. And then it's a new day. But when you murder somebody, that's a whole nother beast. Oh. You know, guys out here talking about where the bitches at need to look within. Last but not least, before I get up out of here, I like to end with a little story time. Over the weekend, I decided I was going to have brunch with a couple of girls that I used to work with um, before the pandemic. Now, of course, everybody's working from home now these days. So I was just like, we need, I need to go hang out with them. We went to Busboys and Poets out in Columbia. They It's a new location. I've been to one of the two locations in D.C. This one in Columbia had a recently opened within like the last six months behind the Merryweather Post Pavilion. It's nestled within a development of condos and apartments. Um, anyway, we're in there. We finish our meal and we're talking and we're drinking and stuff. And this woman comes in with a guy. And I say, oh, wait a minute. Why does she look familiar to me? And one of the girls I was with was like, Um, I think that's Jada Pinkett's mom. Now, I was like, no, that can't be her. Because it's Columbia, like, why would she be here? We saw her walk past the, the dining area, and I guess to the bathroom, and I guess she was trying to get somebody's attention. Um... It was like no, no, that can't, that can't be her. So I saw her waitress, saw this lady's waitress, and was like, I flagged her down, told her to come over, and I told her, I, th- I said, I think we have reason to believe that's Jada Pinkett's mom, Miss Adrian. She was like, what, what, what? Oh my god! I was like, all right, relax. We're gonna play this cool. We're gonna play it cool. We're gonna. Co- confirm so she goes to do her her job and everything tend to the table and you know the two girls i was with was like trying to i guess jokely, jokingly uh play with me just like you know oh well don't go over there and Make i'm mean, like i'm not going to go over there and make an issue but a huge part of me wants to confirm so at some point they they went to Facebook or went to Google or something to confirm the guy that she was with. I guess that her husband, who was that? And they found the picture of the two of them together, and it was, in fact, them. And Miss Adrian and her husband were just there eating, having a good time, stayed to themselves, didn't make a big deal about who they were. Very not celebrity, right? Very not pro using you know nepotism and privilege to make a big deal. I so that was very very cool, and that's one of those. I think that's another thing where it's just like usually when it's a celebrity, you you kind of have this expectation that they'll be they'll play a make a, a big deal wherever they are. Not the case with Miss Adrian. So, once we got confirmation, I was like, oh, cool. So, I confirmed it with her waitress. She was so excited about it. At some point, Miss Adrian went over to the books because not only is this a restaurant, but it's also a bookstore. So, I was like, alright, I'm going to go over there and just try to play it off. Not paying any mind to the section of the bookstore we were in trying to play like I'm looking at books Miss so Adrian's at the other end of the aisle I said hey excuse me hey friend I just want to say hi Miss Adrian I'm a fan thank you she shook my hand and that was it super sweet very very gorgeous in person and short just like Shaka Khan um So that was that. Like, imagine just casually eating at a restaurant and a a celebrity just walks in. Or, you know, Jada Pinkett's mom walks in. That's my story. So, this is the I Refuse Podcast. I'm Mr. Fox. Be sure to follow, subscribe wherever you see the I Refuse Podcast. And, uh... Go to the Twitter at I Refuse Podcast. Check out the other two podcasts that I have. And we will catch you guys later. Bye.